this is Jackson Peterson, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Humboldt, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Wednesday Farm News. Good morning. I'm Randy Conan on the Red River Farm Network. We'll also hear reports from Tyler Donaldson and Whitney Pittman. The uh, USDA's National Ag Statistics Service releasing the 2022 Census of Agriculture yesterday. The census showing fewer farms in the U.S., but more younger and beginning farmers. Fewer farm numbers caught the attention of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. Survey after survey continues to show a decline in the number of farms and in the farmland. In 2017, when we did the survey, there were 2,042,220 farms. Today, the survey reports we have 1,900,487 farms. That's 142,000 fewer farms in five years. The census also showing fewer farmable acres. In 2017, we had almost, well, a little over 900 million acres of land and farming. Five years later, we have 880 million acres. So we've lost 20 million acres. The latest ag uh, census uh, has a couple of new information categories. National Ag Statistics Service's Brian Combs says one of those is precision agriculture. The precision ag question was new. We'll be looking at that in combination with other data points to discover more about what those operations look like. 2022 is the first time that hemp was asked as an individual crop. NASA's planning on producing some additional information on hemp that will be released in the fall. And again, census also showing more younger and new farmers. A young producer is anyone who is involved in farm decision-making under the age of 35 as of December the 31st, 2022. And the census shows that 296,480 young producers were reported. White House announced uh, in, uh, updated inflation and consumer pricing index numbers yesterday. Tyler Donaldson from the Red River Farm Network has more. I'm joined by member of the Council of Economic Advisors to the President, Kirabo Jackson. Kirabo, part of yesterday's announcement updating economic numbers, stated that the consumer pricing index for the month of January dropped from 2.4% in December to 2.1% of an increase year over year. What do these numbers tell us about how America has been able to contain inflationary rates from skyrocketing these past few years? years. We always want to see that the increase in prices is slower than the uh, increase in wages. So real wages are actually growing. So overall wage growth was, is outpacing inflation in January, such that for the 80% of workers uh, who are in blue-collar or non-managerial positions, real wages, which is wages above and beyond inflation, increased about 1.6% over the past year. So this is overall, I think, good news for the economy and is consistent with a strong economy that is growing at a healthy pace um, and with an easing of overall inflationary pressure. Where is it that we're seeing these numbers most reflected in the products and commodities out there? Saw prices falling for meat, poultry, uh, fish and eggs. Uh, they fell over the year and also dairy products, price of dairy products fell uh, over the year um, where we saw uh, also some, some, some things which are, which are overall positive. We saw energy prices also falling overall. So I think there are, there are certainly certain aspects of the report that are going to be welcome news to those who are having to buy groceries um, relative to what things looked like a year ago or having to fill a tank, which is pretty much everybody. Things weren't looking so good for the American and world economies just a few short years ago. In your estimation, how are things looking now and where do we go from here? 18 months ago, when we were sort of looking at you know, the summer of 2022, uh, you know, no one expected that we were going to make it through the 2023 
without heading into a deep recession, and no mm-hmm. one thought it was possible to bring inflation down from its peak at that point um, without having unemployment spike. And what we've seen instead is unemployment has been under 4% nationally for two years in a row, and inflation has come down about two-thirds off its peak. So, you know, the, the American economy has defied expectations through great leadership, small businesses, local communities, and the American worker, um, you know, we've done tremendously well. And if you want any sort of validation of that, just look across the pond to how things look in Europe. We've had about twice as much GDP growth since 2019 than our neighbors over across the pond. That's not to brag, that's just to say that, you know, we've done tremendously well. How is it that we were able to reduce inflation and CPI numbers to such an extent without inciting economic backlash with raised unemployment numbers? There was the establishment of the supply chain disruption task force to go in and, and address all the disruptions we had in terms of supply chains, which was really one of the primary drivers of inflation, if you recall, at that time. Currently, recently, a few months ago, the, the president also established the supply chain resilience task force to make sure that doesn't happen again. So one of the one of the key drivers was making sure that our supply chains were unsnarled to bring prices down while at the same time having a lot of social supports in place under the American Rescue Plan to make sure that Americans had what they needed so that when the economy opened up, they were able to go and jump in and keep things sustained in a healthy way. That was Council of Economic Advisors member Kirabo Jackson. For the Red River Farm Network, I'm Tyler Donaldson. Wednesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. The Senate Agriculture Committee Minority Staff Analysis of the Congressional Budget Office's 2024 Baseline shows projected spending for farm bill-related programs at $1.46 trillion over the next 10 years. That's down 3.5% from the previous 10-year baseline. While SNAP spending was reduced from a year ago, SNAP spending has increased 73% since 2018. Clean technology has been a buzzword used to describe low-carbon emissions at the, the Minnesota legislature. Minnesota Corn Growers Association Senior Public Policy Director Amanda Billick expects a discussion on California's low-carbon fuel standard. This is an area where there potentially could be an opportunity for biofuels, Um, but what we need to make sure is that if the state of Minnesota is going to look at adopting a policy like this, that it's technology and feedstock neutral um, so that all low-carbon fuel options can compete on a level playing field, and also that there is a way for farmers to also benefit directly um, from these these credits and in the marketplace uh, for helping to play their part in helping to provide a low-carbon fuel option. The compressed legislative session this year will also factor into what needs to be prioritized. Policy deadline is actually March 22nd, which means that if it's a policy-focused bill, it needs to be through both bodies by March 22nd through those committees. Um, of jurisdiction. The finance deadline is a little bit later for finance-related bills. I do think that um, we're probably going to be prioritizing talking about um, sustainability and the sustainable practices that farmers have been implementing on their farms, in particular looking at nitrogen use efficiency um, as one of the the top issues that we're going to be talking about um, with legislators. I do think that there are so many moving parts around this clean transportation standard um, and the impact that it could have on a lot of different sectors um, that that's going to be maybe a longer-term discussion. Rhizoctonia continues to be a major problem for sugar beet growers. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman has more. Managing soil moisture is key to controlling rhizoctonia. University of Minnesota Extension sugar beet pathologist Ashuk Chanda says this soil-borne disease can survive up to three years without a host. 
But on top of that, if you have soybeans or edible beans or corn in the rotation, rhizoctonia can infect all these crops, but you'll get the most damage when you come into the sugar beets. Rhizoctonia still likes moisture. You know, it's not as high as FNMICs, some other diseases. But, you know, if you have a way to manage soil moisture indirectly, you can also manage rhizoctonia. Uh, when we looked at some data with the drain tile spacing, you know, the lower the drain tile spacing, the better we were able to manage rhizoctonia and then the higher uh, 100 weight for the navy beans in that particular trial. Getting fungicide in with seed can be helpful in mitigating infection. Typically, the growers are doing an excellent job of uh, combining seed treatment and uh, post-emergence application for managing rhizoctonia. But, you know, there are some fields which have very severe history of rhizoctonia, which means uh, the disease can start early in this particular season, sometimes can also overwhelm the resistant varieties. So in these cases, I think applying fungicides in the furrow uh, with or without star fertilizers would be a good option because, you know, you're trying to have the fungicides right next to the root where it's most needed because once uh, rhizoctonia starts growing with the warmer soil temperatures, you know, the fungicide is right there. It will prevent uh, further infection of the root. Reporting agriculture's business, I'm Whitney Pittman on the Red River Farm Network. According to USDA Census of Agriculture, there are 25,068 farms in North Dakota. That's down 5% from the free, uh, previous census in 2017. Land in farms totaling 38.5 million acres down 2% from five years ago. Average size of the farm in North Dakota, 1,537 acres. That's up 3%. Average age of farmers and ranchers, 56.8 years old. That's up from just 56 years in the last census. 11% of the farmers are classified as young farmers aged 34 or less. 30% of all the farmers in North Dakota are female. Go to the Red River Farm Network website, rrfn.com. You can sign up for the weekly FarmNet News e-newsletter. You can also download this broadcast and as well follow us on Facebook and X, all at rrfn.com. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. USDA research plant pathologist Dr. Nathan Wyatt spoke at the Sugar Beet Research and Education Symposium in Grand Forks yesterday, highlighting research projects and looked at plant infection relative to when the infection becomes evident. The pathogen Cercospora particula has a fairly long latency period, so very similar to when you get a cold. You don't feel symptoms right away. You probably picked it up a couple weeks before you actually start to feel symptoms. And in the case of sugar beets, we noticed that um, there's a very long latency period between when spores land on the leaf and actually start infecting the leaf and when we start to see symptoms. And so what we're working on in my lab in collaboration with Dr. Gary Secord at NDSU is looking at using molecular tools to diagnose that latent infection as early as possible and then also tracking known mutations for fungicide resistance in that latent infection stage as well. And the current treatment protocol is helping producers stay ahead of resistance. As we apply different management practices, you're shifting your pathogen population to one side or the other. And it seems that the different fungicide chemistries and the different management practices shift the fungus in a direction that isn't necessarily compatible with the other applications. So, And what I mean by compatible is that 
we see that it's pretty hard for the fungus to maintain multiple resistances or multiple adaptations to our management practices, which is encouraging. That means that there's potentially an optimal way to apply fungicides and use our resistant cultivars to maximally manage CLS. According to USDA's Census of Agriculture, there are 28,299 farms in South Dakota. That's down 6% from the previous census in 2017. Land and farms totaling 42.3 million acres, down 2% from five years ago. Average size of farms in South Dakota, 1,495 acres. That's up 4%. Average age of farmers and ranchers, 57.2 years. That compares to 56.2 years in the last census. 11% of South Dakota's farmers are classified as young farmers, age 34 or under. 31% of South Dakota's farmers are female. Checking markets before we leave you this morning. We're seeing red across the screens. We're down 8 to 9 or 9 to 10 cents. Minneapolis wheat, 15 in Chicago, 12 in Kansas City. All the March contracts. Corn down 3 cents. Soybeans trading 8 cents lower here this morning. Canola is down $5.30 a metric ton. A lot of items on the farm calendar here this morning. We've got uh, the Minnesota Port Congress continuing today in Mankato. Uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture's Farm Service Agency in Minnesota holding a Agricultural Risk Coverage ARC PLC, Price Loss Coverage, webinar with University of Minnesota Extension. That gets underway at noon today. The, uh, Minnesota, or the Irrigators Association of Minnesota's convention today, in, or rather tomorrow, uh, begins at 8.30 tomorrow morning in Freeport, Minnesota at the Community Center. Also, the United States, USDA's Ag Outlook Forum begins tomorrow, the 100th annual. Be listening for reports uh, from the Ag Outlook Conference from Don Wick. Also, the Northland Potato Growers Association's annual meeting and chairman's award banquet next Tuesday at the Alaris Center. That gets underway at 6.30 p.m. social hour at 5.30. Thanks for joining us this morning. Have a great Wednesday, Valentine's Day. This is the Red River Farm Network.